Okay, well, today we are finishing up our sermon series called Your Questions Answered. And for the past few weeks, if you're just joining us today, and you might be wondering what, what's this about, for the past few weeks, we've been looking at some of the questions that particularly our young people have been asking. And there's a couple of reasons that we have done this sermon series. Um, for one, we want to make sure that there's a clear message that is spoken here, uh, that church is the place to ask questions. Any sincere question, any honest question about God, about life, this is the place that we want to we wanna address that. And it's not because we think that we have all the answers, but we want to support each person. Uh, we, wanna, we want our young people to know that, young people, you are not out there alone. You have a church that is behind you and is supporting you as you um, try to answer these questions and as you try to figure out uh, how God is leading and what it looks like to know him. The second reason uh, that we're doing this series, Your Questions Answered, is because, young people, we want you to know that your questions matter to us. The things that you are wondering about, the things that you're concerned about, we're concerned about them too. We want you to know that, that we care. Um, because church is not just for people who are 30 years old and up. Like, it's not just for people like me. Some people think I'm a really young person. No, no. <laughs> it's not just for 30-year-olds and, and older. It, this is a church family. Every age is important to the church family. So regardless of what your age is, our seniors, we need our seniors. We need the wisdom and the guidance that, that they bring to us. But we also, young people, we need you. You're an important part of our church family. And so... As you ask these questions, we, you know, so, you know, this series is primarily for 18 to 29-year-olds. That's, that's who we're especially wanting to speak to. But something really interesting that we've seen happening is as we look at the questions that our young people are asking, it's helped us all grow. Because those of us who are older and have been in the church for, for a while, we really need to revisit why we believe what we believe. We need to be challenged by fresh new thinking and, and perspectives. And, and we need to be challenged also to be relevant to the ever-dynamic context of our world that we live in. So young people, thank you. Thank you for challenging us. Thank you for asking questions. And although this sermon series concludes today, please continue asking the questions. We're all better for it. All right, so the question that we are addressing today is this right here. How do we know... The Bible can be trusted. Whoa, that's actually not correct. <laughs> the question, actually, is how do we know what is truth? That's what it should say. My bad. How do we know what is truth? How do we know what is truth? So um, before we get into that, uh, before we get into that topic, how do we know what is truth? I'd like to just pause and pray and ask God, the spirit of truth, uh, to guide us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a God who has the answers. Thank you, God, that we can look to you for wisdom. And I pray that you would give us a heart to accept what is true. Please make that very clear to us. Show us how we can know what is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how do we know what is truth? Well, let me just start off by, by observing that one of the big reasons that keeps people from knowing what is truth, one of the big reasons that keeps us from that, is that truth can be hard to accept. In other words, 
knowing truth sometimes can be very easily known, but we don't know the truth because we don't like it. So a number of years ago, a pilot flying a commercial airplane in Brazil was on the tarmac. He was preparing for takeoff, and he was supposed to be uh, flying his plane, a very short flight. He was preparing for a very, very short flight to the northern coastal city called Belém on, on, on Brazil's northern coast. Beautiful beach uh, city. And so he was going to be going, to, flying his plane to Belém, just a, a very short flight, maybe 45 minutes. Um, and so as he was preparing, he entered in the information into the computer, uh, into the, yeah, the, that flies at, uh, anyway. He entered the information that he needed to into the coordinates of the computer uh, in the airplane. But while he was entering this information, he made, unknowingly, he, he made a mistake. He, he left out one of the key parts of information, a, a, key, a number, one, one number, he had mistakenly left out. So, after takeoff, instead of heading northeast to the coastal city of Beleng, his plane turned west and headed straight towards the Amazon forest. So it was nighttime. And after about 45 minutes, when the pilot expected to make a visual contact with the lights of the, of the, the familiar lights of the city of Belang and, and, and the, the lights of the airport, he started to become concerned because he didn't see anything. It was, it was dark. But instead of acknowledging that something was wrong, he acted as if everything was fine. When the passengers began to question, hey, why haven't we landed the plane yet? This is a short flight. Why are we still up in the air? The pilot decided to lie, and he said, well, he announced over the loudspeaker, there's been a problem with the, the, the electricity. There's been a power outage at the, at the Belen airport, and so we are, we're just going to be circling for a while until they get that fixed. So he asked for the airline attendants to send another round of drinks uh, while the passengers waited uh, for, for the, the plane to arrive at the destination. About an hour after they were supposed to have arrived at the airport in Belém, the first officer identified the problem. He was like, oh, we, we missed a number when we were putting in the information into the computer that would guide the airplane to the, to the right airport. And so he realized this, and he, was, he, he went to the captain. And he said, Captain, I, I figured out what's wrong, that somehow, sir, when, you were, when you're putting the, the, the information in, you, you, you left a number out. But the captain refused to accept that he was wrong. He, he was unwilling to receive this message that he had made a mistake. And so he said, no, it, that, that can't be right. And so instead, he continued in the direction that he thought he should go. All the while, desperately looking somewhere for the lights of this city. Somehow, he, he hoped, he was sure that he hadn't made a mistake and that he was close and he just needed to fly around a little bit more and then he would certainly find the city of Belen, the airport that he was trying to land in. Well, eventually, his plane ran out of fuel. And he crashed the plane about 700 miles off course in a dense tropical forest. And although the crew and many of the 
passengers, most of the passengers survived. 13 passengers were killed in this crash. And needless to say, the pilot's license was revoked and he would never fly again. Now, I'm sure that, I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt, I'm sure that this pilot was an intelligent, is an intelligent person, capable person. But when someone told him the truth, he didn't want to hear it. It wasn't pleasing to him. It was insulting to him. And because he refused to accept the truth, he crashed the plane. Now, although we might think about this pilot and judge him and say, you know, this guy is a fool, the reality is any one of us are capable of rejecting the truth because sometimes the truth is unpleasant. Sometimes it doesn't appeal to us. And so any one of us are capable of rejecting it and believing a lie if that lie seems more appealing to us. Because our desires are able to blind our minds to what is truth, Jesus, thankfully, makes it very clear. He uses the clearest language possible to tell us what truth is. Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 7, verse 17. Here Jesus tells us how we can know what is truth, how we can keep from being blinded by our desires for a more palatable truth, for a truth that appeals to us uh, more. Um, John seven seventeen. At this time, in John chapter 7, verse 17, at this time, people were questioning whether Jesus was teaching the truth or not. This is, was actually not a real popular time uh, in Jesus, for Jesus uh, during his ministry. You had some people that were saying, no, no, he's a good man. How could he not be teaching the truth? Look, he's healing people. He cares about people. He, he, he loves people clearly. Um, his teachings make sense. How could they not be true? He, he, he's got to be a good person. But other people were saying, no, 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 no. This guy is deceiving the people. All that stuff is just, he's trying to be convincing so that he can deceive as many people as possible. To settle the question, Jesus talks about something very, very significant when we're answering the question, how do we know what is truth? This is a key aspect in the experience of knowing what is truth. And Jesus talks very significantly about the power of the will. Look at what he says in John 7, verse 17. He says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you want to know if what I'm saying is true, this is what you need to do. You need to be willing to do God's will. Whoever chooses to do the will of God, they will know. In other words, we cannot know what is truth unless we are willing to choose, unless we choose to do what God wills, unless we are seeking after God's will, willing to do his will. Jesus, he understood the, the, the struggles that we have. He, he understood the, the pressures that, that, that we face, that, that it's difficult when truth comes to us to just say, oh man, yeah, I accept this because this is just speaking to me. This is great. Sometimes truth is not that way. And so if we're going to know the truth, then we must be willing to accept God's will, whether we like it or not. At times, we might hate the truth. Perhaps you can relate to that. When, when you've been confronted by truth, perhaps you were, you've been in a situation like this pilot where 
You were told something that you just didn't want to accept. Maybe, you, maybe we can hate the truth, but God is saying here that even if we hate, the tr- hate what the truth is saying to us, we, we don't like it, it, it doesn't appeal to us, even if we're in that place, we can still know what is true if we choose to seek God's will instead of our own. And today there's all kinds of pressures that we face that keep us from knowing the truth. Popular culture says that there's no such thing as one truth, as an absolute truth. And we get that from popular culture. Popular culture says that instead of there being one truth, uh, it says that there are many different truths. And, and you can decide for yourself. You can make up your own truth. You can choose what you want to believe. You can pick a little bit here from this religion or a little bit here from this philosophy. You can put it all together in a way that seems right to you. And if it works for, for you and your thinking, if it seems right to you, that's your truth. Other people might have a different truth. And so this, in a way, this is very appealing to our natural way of thinking because according to popular culture, there's no right or wrong, which means, hey, you know, you, you, don't, have to be, you don't have to feel like you're wrong if you believe a certain way. You don't have to feel like you're wrong if you choose a, a, a certain way of living, a certain way of believing. And although this means that no one can say you're wrong— The problem with this way of thinking, believing this way, is that believing this way cannot make us right with God. Please turn with me to John chapter 17. I'll put it up on the screen there. By the way, if you want to follow along in your pew Bible, those are the page numbers there, page 1084, John 17, uh, verse 17. Just before Jesus, there's a little context here, just before Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and made this final decision to die for the redemption of humanity on the cross. He looked up to heaven, and he prayed for us. He prayed that the followers of Jesus, prayed that his followers, the followers of God, that they would know truth. That's, that's in the heart of God, and I love that about Jesus, that when it comes to knowing truth, Jesus doesn't just Jesus doesn't just hope that we're going to figure it out. No, he is actively involved in leading each one of us to a knowledge of truth. And here we find him in John chapter 17, lifting up his eyes to heaven and praying for his followers that they would know what is truth. He understood the pressures that we face that keep people from knowing what is truth. And so he makes it really, really clear using clear language to tell us what is truth. Here in John chapter 17, verse 17, notice what he says, speaking to his Father, sanctify them by the truth. Thy word, your word, is truth. It's a clear definite, very simple definition. And notice when he speaks about truth, he speaks about truth in singular language. In contrast to this idea that there are many truths out there, you just kind of pick which one works for you. In contrast to this idea, Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. It's singular language. There is one standard of truth. And he goes on to tell us what that one standard of truth is. He says, God, your word is truth. There's one standard of truth. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is equated with both of these ideas that we find in John chapter 17, the the idea of 
truth and the idea of the Word. In John chapter 1, Jesus is described as the Word of God that created all things. All things came into being by Him. Through Him, nothing came into being. Through Him, everything came into being that has come into being. He is the Word of God that creates. In John chapter 14, Jesus describes himself as the truth. So when we read this passage here in John 17, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. This is all centered in Jesus. The word is the message of Christ. Jesus is the representation of truth to us. He is the truth. So when Jesus says that the word of God is truth, he's talking about himself. And his work of setting us free from sin and death. This truth, this message of Jesus, is found clearest in the Bible. In John 5, 39, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. Now, the religious leaders, they were famous for knowing the Bible forwards and backwards. They would tie it to their forehead and to their hands, and they were all about it. They, they memorized large portions of it. And Jesus is saying, you diligently study the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But these are they, the very scriptures that testify about me. In other words, the Bible is, all, is truth because it testifies about Jesus. This is, having a Bible, it, it's, it's not a good luck charm. The reason why the Bible has merit is because it points us to the truth, who is Jesus. If we look at the Bible for anything but Jesus, we're going to be deceived. We're not going to find what is truth. The point of the Bible is to reveal Jesus, and that is why the Bible is the standard for truth. It's like a measuring stick that tells us the exact length of an inch or a foot. Now, we, we might wish that a foot were a little longer or shorter or, or an inch were a little smaller or, or, or longer, depending on what we're using it for. But a measuring stick tells us exactly how long a foot is. It tells us exactly how, how long an, an inch is or, or, or whatever it is that it measures. The Bible is like this. The Bible is the standard for truth by which truth is tested. How do we know if something is true? How do we know if, if what we believe about God and what we believe about his plan for our lives, how do we know that is true? Well, all we have to do is look at the Bible and test it by the word of God. Does it align with what the Bible says? Then it's true. If it doesn't align with what the Bible says, then it's not true. According to Jesus, truth is not something that we make for ourselves, to suit ourselves. Truth is is the message of God. And since God is so much bigger than all of us, the only way that we can really know truth is by simply accepting what he says is truth. So much bigger than us. <laughs> uh, tell him pizza, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um. All right, anyway, you may be familiar with a, a well-known Indian parable that speaks about six blind men and an elephant. Now, as the parable goes, uh, there were these blind men that had heard about an elephant, but they'd never met an elephant themselves, and they were curious. They, they wanted to know the truth about elephants, and so one day they had their chance to meet an elephant. And each man approached the elephant, as you see here in the 
in the diagram. Each, each man approached the elephant, and they touched the elephant. They, they had a chance to, to experience the elephant for themselves. But they all had a different understanding of what the elephant really it was that they, were, that they were touching because they all touched a different part of the elephant. Now, the one who came along and touched the trunk of the elephant said, Oh, elephants are like a big snake. Look at this. This is amazing. That's what an elephant is. It's, it's a big snake. The one who touched the side of the elephant said, Oh, the elephant is like a wall. It's like a strong, solid wall here. Elephants are, are, are like strong walls. The one who touched the, the elephant's tongue said, tusk, rather, said, elephants are like a, a big spear. Man, it's dangerous. You've got to be careful around this elephant. It's a, it's a big spear. And so on. They, they each had a different experience with the elephant. And after they had all touched the elephant, they were convinced that they knew the truth. Each one knew the truth about the elephant. But they all disagreed on what an elephant was like. They all had a different understanding of truth. Each one said a different thing about the elephant. So who was right? Was it the one who said an elephant is a snake? Was it the one that said an elephant is a, is a, is a sharp spear? That's what, that's what an elephant's like. Who was right? Well, in a sense, they were all right. But really, they were all wrong. Why? Because they didn't see the entire elephant. They only saw a little portion. To have a true understanding, they had to accept that the elephant was bigger than what they could know. When it comes to knowing the truth, we're all like these blind men in this story. Our, per- our perspective is limited. And so when God comes along and he, and he tells us, this is truth, it may not make sense to us. What? what are, you, are you kidding? I, I've experienced this and it doesn't align with my experience in life. Well, there's a reason for that. We don't know everything and God does. And if we're going to know what is truth, we have to simply accept the truth in God's word for us. if we're willing to accept what God says. Something very special happens. The Bible tells us that he is able, when we accept the truth, his word to us, when we accept this for what it is, the truth of God, he is able to change us and to make us right on the inside. Notice what it says in in verse 17 of John chapter 17. I'll put it up on the screen for you. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Now, Jesus is talking to his Father, and he's asking God to do something for us, and that request is summarized in this word, sanctify. When he says sanctify, he's describing the work of God to make us right on the inside. The word sanctify means to set apart for a special purpose, and perhaps One of the best examples of sanctifying in the Bible when God sets apart people for a special purpose is the Exodus story. For generations, Israel was being treated wrongly. They were wrong terribly when they were living in the land of Egypt. The Egyptians oppressed them. The Egyptians were cruel to them. The Egyptians beat them and made them work and didn't pay them for their work. They were slaves in Egypt. When the Egyptians realized that the people of Israel 
of Israel were, were, were becoming too numerous, the Pharaoh made this decree, this horrible decree, that all of the baby boys should be torn out of their parents' arms and thrown into the river. This was horrible treatment. They were treated wrongly. There was nothing right about this situation for the people of God. And even though they were in this terrible situation, there was nothing, that's very significant, there was nothing that the people of Israel could do about it. They could not free themselves. They were helpless to change their circumstances. There was nothing that they could do, but God could do something, and he did do something. Without any help from the people of Israel, God brought Israel out of Egypt, and he set them apart for a special purpose. He revealed his truth to them. He gave them his laws. He gave them his commands that they might tell the truth of God to the world. Now, this is how God sanctifies us. This is really significant when it comes to knowing what is truth. He is the one that takes us, and he takes us just as we are with all that is wrong inside of us, all that needs to be fixed. He is the one that comes in, and when he sanctifies us, he is the one that makes us right. It's his doing apart from our help. He doesn't need our help. He simply needs us to accept his truth and to cooperate with it. He is the one that makes us right. To know the truth, we must realize that the truth of God is not advice. That's not the purpose of the truth of God. It's not advice. Like when, when you need advice, when, you, when, you, uh, go, when someone goes and sees an advisor, what are they there for? They want to know how to improve their future decisions, right? When we talk about advice, we're talking about something that relates to future actions, whether it's to be a better parent or whether it's to get advice on career planning. Young people, you're, you're planning your future and you want to know uh, better about how you can plan your life, how you can um, find the career that is going to be best for you. Oftentimes, you'll, you'll see an advisor, a faculty advisor can, can give you some guidance there. Maybe you need some advice about how to manage your money or parenting or whatever it is. When you're looking for advice, you're looking for something that is going to help you in the future. You realize that there's room for improvement in your life, and so you want advice because if you can have some advice, you can take that and you can go and use it to make better decisions for yourself. But the purpose of truth is not like this. The purpose of truth is not to tell us what to do so that we, when we know what to do, we can just go and do it. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he didn't say, here you go, good luck with that. That was not the purpose of God revealing truth to the people of Israel. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he was making a declaration, not about the future, he was making a declaration about who he is. This is about the message of who God is, the truth of God. And when he made that declaration, he was not only saying, this is who I am, he was also saying, this is who you are when I am in you. His truth is a message that changes our past, it changes our present, and it changes our future. He's not saying, here, go, go and take this and go run with it. The message of truth is a declaration that changes everything for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he changed our past. 
You may be familiar with the word justify, justification. Simple definition that goes around a lot. Perhaps you've heard of it. It's to be made just as if you had never sinned. Jesus changes our past. He changes our present, who we are in him. And he changes our future. He is the one that does the changing. The work of sanctification is the work of God. And this is the work of truth. When we accept the message of truth, it changes us. He is everything to us. He is our creator. He is our redeemer. He is the resurrection and the life. He is love. And he is the one that makes our characters right. He changes us. When we accept this truth about God, we accept the truth of who he is, this completely changes how we live, how we think, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to others, how we relate to him. A couple of months ago, let's wrap it up with a story here. A couple of months ago, the elders and the pastors of the church, this church here, we were praying that God would give us direction. We wanted to be led by God. We wanted to know the will of God for our church. Where, where would he have us go? And so we decided to pray every day for three weeks, and then we would get back, to, we would get back together and we'd talk about what we heard from God and what we sensed he was asking us to do. So after this three-week period, we all got back together, and there was just this incredible consensus that what we really needed to be about was loving our young people. How can we show them love? And we'd spent some time listening to our young people, and our young people had told us that their love language is food. And so, uh, so we decided to do a barbecue. We chose a date. It was actually August 1st, just a couple weeks ago. August 1st, Sunday. We were going to do a barbecue for our young people. We just wanted to, just wanted to show them love and, and let them know that they are an important part uh, of our church. And so we started planning, we got the word out, and everything was going great. And I woke up on Friday morning, the Friday before August 1st, just a couple days before that Sunday when we were going to have this barbecue. I woke up, I pulled out my phone, and I looked at the weather, and I saw that the weather forecast for Sunday, August 1st, was going to be pushing 100 degrees. We were planning to have a barbecue right here in the sun. When it, was, when, it was, when it was supposed to be, it was forecasted to be 100 degrees. And in that moment, I was a little bit confused. I was like, God, we prayed about this. We saw that you were leading us, and there was just this incredible consensus. We know that you led us to this point. Why would you have us do this and still let the weather be so hot? I mean, God, you could change the weather. What, what's wrong? And I was, I was really confused. And then this idea came into my head. Okay, so how do we know truth? Watch this. This idea came into my head. Brian, maybe, maybe it's 100 degrees on Sunday because you guys didn't pray enough about when to do the barbecue. Yeah, you prayed about what to do. Okay, let's do something for our, our young people. But you, but you just put it on the calendar. It just made sense to you. You didn't spend a lot of time praying about it, Brian. And because you didn't spend a lot of time praying about it, this whole thing is going to be a bust. It's not going to work out. It's going to be terrible. People are going to say, oh, it's 100 degrees. I don't want to show up to that. You're going to show up, and it's going to be miserable and, and because you didn't pray about it. That was the idea that was going on in my head. And as this idea was, can, by the way, can anybody relate to that? I didn't pray enough, and so this isn't going to work out. Um, as this idea was going on in my head, 
the truth of God was brought to my attention by his spirit. And it just became so clear to me. Okay, maybe you didn't pray enough. And, and yeah, you need to pray more, Brian. But God is a merciful God. God is a gracious God. And although there are consequences when we, when we do not follow his plan and when we, when we don't, maybe don't do things right, there might be consequences. There are consequences to those things. God is still gracious. He doesn't reject you. He doesn't say, oh, you didn't do it my way. I'm taking off. You're on your own. God is a gracious God. He stays present with his people. In our mistakes, he is right there. He is present. And so in that moment, I said, you know what? We're not going to call this off. We did our best. Yeah, we could have prayed more. But God, I'm going to choose to trust your mercy and your grace. And I'm here to tell you that the truth of God completely changed my experience that day. Instead of being frantic and crazy and anxious and, and just worrying about all the details, if you've ever been in charge of one of these things, you know how that goes. Um, instead of just being concerned about all of this, I said, you know what, God? I'm going to trust your grace. We've done what we can, and we're going to move forward. Well, three o'clock uh, came around. We were supposed to set up, and it was hot. I mean, we're setting up all of these canopies. Pastor Michael is there. We've set up all these canopies. Our elders are working hard, and um, and you know, we are just perspiring and sweating, but something started to happen around 3.30 or so. We started to see this. Now, rain was not in the forecast, but around 4 o'clock, it started to rain. And as all of us got our food and huddled under the canopies and enjoyed our food and enjoyed getting to know each other better, God cooled down the afternoon to a pleasant 80 degrees. This is the truth of God. This is what kind of God I serve. This is what kind of God we find in the Bible. So when this God comes along and he tells us stuff that may not appeal to us, that may not make sense, God tells us what we can eat and what we can't eat. Isn't that a little intrusive? God tells us what we should do with our money, and he's not just general about it. He's specific. It's 10%. And then on top of that, there's offerings. That feels a little intrusive. That's like, oh, God, this is a little uncomfortable. But this all comes from a God who sees the big picture and a God who has a heart for each one of us. He loves us. He wants to bless us. And if we are willing to receive him into our life, he will sanctify us and make us right. This is the beauty of truth. How do we know what is true? By accepting the message of God as it is written in the Bible. By honestly approaching the Bible. Not trying to make it say what we want it to say, because that's dangerous. We only see a limited picture. We might end up with a completely skewed idea of what is true. We might reject what is true and suffer terrible consequences. But if we are willing to come to the Bible and say, God, whatever your will is, that is what I want, we can know what is true. This is scary. This is not a comfortable place. This is a place that is beyond our control. And it may not appeal to us. It may not, the, the truth of God may not be something that really, is, is something that we really like. We may wish that it was a different kind of truth. But when we accept the truth of God, he makes everything that is wrong in our life right. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your truth. Forgive me, forgive my church family, forgive us for the times in which we thought we knew more than you did. Forgive us for rejecting life-giving truth that you give to us. And I pray, God, that you give us, a, give us the courage and that you give us a heart to seek after your will and your will alone. Thank you so much for your promise to sanctify us, to set us apart for a holy purpose, to prepare us to live with you forever through your truth. Thank you for giving us your word, which is truth. May we receive it wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.